because we don't question enough. Like question your own story, question what you want. Is this something I want in my life? Is this what I want to do? And get really curious about that, right? And I think journaling really helps process in real time and gets us out of our heads and into our bodies and our hearts. Welcome to another episode of Success Through Failure. This is your host, Jim Harshaw Jr. And today I bring you Joe Hawley. Do you feel out of balance in your life, like your family and your work or your priorities, but like you're always shortchanging one or the other? Do you feel like you're going 100 miles an hour every day, getting 100 things done, but you don't feel like you're ever really moving the needle? Or maybe you feel like you want to be more consistent, more focused. Do you want to figure out what the right goals are for you? I know the feeling. I have a wife and four kids, a business, rental property, not to mention the inevitable challenges that pop up in life like cars breaking down or kids getting sick or work getting busy. But when I was a Division I All-American wrestler, I was focused. I was consistent. I knew what my goals were, and I had a plan to get there. But when I got into the real world, things got complex. Everything seemed to be a priority. I ended up with a failed business, dead up to my eyeballs, in the worst physical shape of my life, and I knew I wasn't showing up as the husband and father that I should have been. That's when I realized that there was a framework in my life that I used when I was one of the top wrestlers in the country. And I realized that top performing CEOs and Navy SEALs and New York Times bestselling authors, you name it, used the same secret formula to get more done in less time and to maximize their potential and live a life of purpose and impact. If you want to know what that system is and how to apply it to your unique situation in life, I've opened up a few spots on my calendar for a free 30-minute clarity calls so that you can learn this system too. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash apply. That's jimharshawjr.com slash apply. If you'd rather me just text you that link, send me a text at this number. I'm going to say this three times. Are you ready? 571-210-5450. Again, that number, 571-210-5450. Send me a text and I'll text you that link. Again, that's 571 571- 210-5450. I look forward to talking to you. Joe Hawley played offensive line in the NFL for eight seasons. He lived out his dream as an NFL player. And in 2017, after realizing that his heart and body just weren't in it anymore, he decided to walk away. I mean, he walked away from millions of dollars. And this is not a guy who had made, you know, tens of millions of dollars, contracts, etc. I mean, he walked away from a significant sum of money. And he realized like, you know, what's next? I mean, he realized he didn't have a plan for what was next for his life. And he gave everything he owned away to charity, bought a van and hit the road. He went on this two year cross country road trip, explored the entire United States, national parks and et cetera. And his whole journey was to find himself. And now he's on a journey to inspire others to find themselves. And he offers some concrete ways to do that that doesn't involve giving everything you own away to charity and like going off on a, on a road trip, which is something that I would love to do and bring my whole family. I've done this before, but I would love to do this with my family. I've actually gotten a chance to do a little bit of that. Last summer, we drove cross country out to Montana and uh, from Virginia, just an incredible experience. But he found himself through this and he has created his own podcast and different resources to help people find themselves. So this is a fascinating interview. He takes us deep into the mind of a professional athlete, into the ups and downs, the failures, the successes, the triumphs, and the setbacks that you live out every day in that grind of a professional athlete. Fascinating interview, fascinating insights, a wise, wise man. My interview with Joe Holly. Let's go. 
you made it to the NFL. Like you grew up like every other young boy in America who wants to play in the NFL. What was it like when you heard your name called in the draft? Yeah, living a childhood dream. Very special, very grateful for that. And I think every boy that starts playing football has the dream at some point in their childhood or life to get their name called on draft day. And that was definitely no different for me. I played at a small school at UNLV and knew it was going to be a long shot to get drafted out of a small school. We weren't very successful and had a really good draft process. I was really stoked when I got invited to the actual combine. I think that was a huge step because I didn't even think I was going to get that call. And so that was a big moment for me. And I just had a really good draft process, had a really good pro day and really good numbers at the combine and ended up getting drafted in the fourth round. I was projected to be like a seventh round free agent, you know, it was to the Atlanta Falcons. And yeah, I mean, when I when I talked to uh, the head coach, the GM and the owner on draft day, it was really a special moment. But, you know, looking back on that now, that was really just the beginning of the journey. It definitely was not the end. So were you sitting like in your living room with your parents and everything like we kind of always visualize and you see guys on TV like what was that like for you? Were you sitting with your family or were you by yourself or? Yeah, yeah. I got a funny story actually with draft day because when I got drafted, it was oh man, 10, 11 years ago now. You know, they did the primetime first round on Thursday night and then the second and third round primetime on Friday night. And then Saturday was like the fourth to seventh round and it started really early and I was on the West Coast. So it started like 7 a.m. And so I woke up and I had like three teams. I think it was the Eagles, the Bears and the Broncos that were really into me during the whole draft process. And I was a smaller name. So like, you know, I wasn't one of these guys that like anybody could take at any moment. And so when I was watching the TV, I think the Eagles pick came and went in the fourth round. And I was like another 20 picks until the Broncos pick. So I was like, okay, I have some time until the next team that's interested in me comes up. And so I actually went to the bathroom and actually left my phone on the couch. And so I was sitting there and just waiting. And all of a sudden, my parents at the house have the caller ID that kind of announces who's calling. And so the, the phone is ringing. All of a sudden, it goes, Atlanta Falcons calling. Atlanta Falcons calling. I was like, oh my gosh. So I like hurried up, finished up. And I like went and checked my phone. And there was all these missed calls from my agent and like three missed calls from this area code I didn't know. Turns out it was Atlanta. So I answered the phone real quick. And it was the GM of the Falcons. And he's like, hey, man, like we've been trying to reach you. Like we almost skipped you on on this almost went to the next guy. I don't know how real that was. I think that people have actually missed the call. And they've actually just skipped the draft pick. I've heard stories, about that, which is crazy. And so yeah, it was, it was a funny story that I wasn't really expecting it and ended up getting drafted to the Falcons, which was a total surprise. You know, and I've never been to the East Coast, and that was a whole other journey of going into the unknown, getting outside my comfort zone, and obviously being a small-time college, going and, you know, all the guys that were in my draft class were from Alabama, Florida, all these big-time SEC schools. And it was definitely a, one hell of a journey playing in the league and first getting involved in it. What was it like playing in the NFL? Like, was it, like, what were the things that were like, yeah, this is what I expected, and were there some things that you're like, yeah, this is not really what I expected? Like, what was the experience like for you? Yeah, yeah, I think... You know, you hear about the guys, the top guys on ESPN and stuff, the, the guys that get paid all the money. I think that's very small percentage of what pro athletes go through. I think most guys are in my realm where it's a constant grind of having to prove yourself over and over again. And I had a very up and down NFL career. I lost my starting job five different times for a wide variety of different reasons and, you know, learned a lot through failure. And, you know, when I first got to the NFL, I think the biggest challenge for me was the reason I went to UNLV was a smaller school because I had some scholarship offers to some bigger schools, but I didn't want to sit and not play. Like, I love the game of football so much. 
that I wanted to play the game. You know, I had this like weird inner dichotomy within me. Like I hated everything that went into football, but I loved everything about playing the games. And so all the stuff I hated, I like really did everything I could to perform in those ways, which is really a challenge for me so that I could perform and make it and play the games. And so my rookie year, I got drafted. They had a 13 year starter at center and they drafted me to eventually replace him. And that first year I had to sit on the bench. I was dressing as the backup and only played one snap that entire year. And so me being on the sideline was a real challenge for me because I felt like I wasn't contributing to the team. And so that was something that really, really was really struggle. I think everybody talks about the rookie wall as well. That was something that was a real challenge. I mean, week 11 or 12 of the season, because I didn't redshirt in college either. So all of my really close friends that I came into college with were still playing their senior years. And week 11 or 12 of the season, your rookie year, the college season is over. And then we're only pretty much halfway done with our season. And so it's just so long and the grind. And also getting to Atlanta, they had a really solid offensive line group. They had five starters that had been playing together for three years, which is really rare. And they were all you know older and established veterans. And it was really hard for me to get in there and earn their respect. And that was another challenge. I just felt like I was not a part of the team. I was outside, didn't really have an opportunity to earn their respect because I didn't get an opportunity to play. And it wasn't until my second year that starting center came back another year and ended up having a chance to play right guard. And then once I actually got to see the field, I started nine games at right guard that year. I finally earned their respect. I started feeling like a more part of the team. After that season, the starting center's contract was up and he was set to retire after 13 years. I think it was that time. And so going into that offseason, I was like, okay, now's my time to shine. I played right guard, which I was out of position. They drafted me at center. And I had a pretty rough game. We played the Giants that year in the first round of the playoffs. That was the year they ended up winning the, the Super Bowl. And as an offense, we really struggled. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to move over to center. I'm going to have my own 13-year career as the starting center of the Atlanta Falcons. Like, my dream is about to come true. This is it. And much to my surprise, this is one of the big challenges, first big challenges I faced in the NFL and a big lesson of what the NFL is all about is going into that draft that year with our first pick, we ended up drafting the best center in the draft out of the University of Wisconsin. And, you know, knowing enough and being in the NFL long enough, like a top draft pick is going to be playing over anybody else. And the reason they drafted is because they didn't really trust me, but that was not in my realm of possibility. Like I didn't even, nobody communicated that to me. So it felt like the rug was ripped out from under me. And I kind of went in a downward spiral of questioning everything. And there's a little bit of depression. And so I went from thinking I was going to be the starter and have my own 10-year illustrious career at center to going into training camp that following year, barely making the team. And I spent the majority of that season on the sidelines. I appreciate you pulling back the curtain because, yeah, we see ESPN and we see NFL highlights and it's like we see the top guys and everybody's making all this money and it's crazy and everything's amazing. And it's like the reality is most of them are just grinding it out. Most of you are grinding it out, trying to keep your job, trying to make it through the season, trying to stay healthy, all of that. And you're getting cut. Like you said, you lost your starting job five times. I think as athletes, and I just want to explore this with you. I'm not saying you have the answer to this, but I'm curious about this because as a former athlete myself, I think there's like an infrastructure that's around you as an athlete that allows you in some level to be a little bit more resilient, right? You have like-minded teammates, you have coaches who are pushing you. And as an athlete, it's just clear, like, you know what the plan is, you know, you know what the goal is, it's our endless starting spot to win the championship, win the next game, whatever. Like in the real world, we don't have that, right? I mean, is that something that you feel like is super helpful as an athlete? And maybe people are missing that in the real world? Because most of the people listening, are they're not professional athletes, and they weren't professional athletes. 
but they're out there in the world going, man, like when I fail, I just kind of lower my goals or I settle for less, or I kind of get this self doubt inside of me. I know you experienced some of that. What was that like and how were you resilient? And are there any sort of parallels between that and, and how you have to build that into your life in the real world? Cause you don't have the coaches, you don't have that clarity. You don't have that infrastructure necessarily. Yeah, totally. And that's a huge challenge of transitioning out. And I think this is a big awakening, not just for athletes, but anybody in life is taking responsibility for where you're at, taking your power back, knowing that you are in control of what you want to create and looking at failures as just lessons and learning to fail as fast as you can. And that season, you know, I spent majority of the year on the sidelines. I went into kind of a, a depression. I was going home and drinking. It was affecting my performance on the field. I just was still questioning, like, how could this happen? I was pointing the finger at the strength coach, you know, he's, he's an asshole. He, he's not, he's not really giving me an opportunity that the offensive line coach doesn't like me, the head coach, this, that making all these excuses. We were actually really good that year. We were like 12 and two at the end of the year and I ended up getting suspended for taking Adderall, which showed up on a PED test, which is a one-time fail. You, you get four game suspension. And so that was a huge lesson. Actually, I had to call my coach and be like, Hey man, like I, I failed the test. I, you know, and so I had to go train by myself for those four weeks. And when I came back, they actually signed a practice squad player from another team from the Saints. And so when I came back, they had to make the decision, are we going to keep this practice squad guy or are we going to keep Joe? And obviously, I wasn't showing up in the way that they had planned on me doing. I was, you know, the energy of how I was showing up was obviously they could see it. I was just continuing to be like, you guys just don't get it. You guys, I'm better than all these guys. And I, these are all just words. I wasn't showing up and trying to, you know, going to take what I wanted and live out this dream. And that actually led to, I'll never forget, it was Christmas Eve, about a week or two before we were about to be the number one seed in the playoffs. And I get the call that every NFL player dreads, right? It's, it's hey, coach wants to see you bring your playbook. And I knew in that moment, they're about to cut me. And usually you get cut during training camp, right? And you have the whole season to go, I was getting cut like week 16, 17, before we were about to go to the playoffs and go on this Super Bowl run. And when I went up to the office, sitting in front of the head coach and the GM, and they said, Joe, you know, we're going to release you. And in that moment, I was just flooded with so much regret. And it was the first time I knew that I was going to be on the streets, my childhood dream squandered, and I knew that I could have given more. I didn't give everything I had. I was waiting for someone else to give me an opportunity, and I just gave it away. And in that moment, I remember one thing came to my mind, and I, I told them, because we we're going to go on this playoff run, I was like, if the starting center got hurt in the playoffs, would you trust me to play? Or would you trust this other guy you brought in to play? And they thought about it for a second. They're like, ah, oh, I guess we'd have to trust the other guy. But I could tell they hadn't actually thought about that, which is really fascinating. And end up going through the whole cut process. It was like 10 or 15 minutes, go to the training room, sign out all the papers, get turn in my equipment. And I'm finally with the final meeting with the guy signing out. And he gets a call and he's like, hey, it's you know Thomas Dimitrov, the GM. He wants you to go back in the room. And so I go back in the room and then they sit me down. And they say, we thought about what you said. We're going to end up keeping you on the roster. And so that first time, that first moment, I finally stood up for myself and like spoke my mind and communicated like my worth to them. And then two weeks later, we were, you know, the first playoff game against the Seahawks, I was actually dressing for the first time that year as a backup. And we ended up losing to San Fran in the NFC Championship game. And that was the year they went and with Colin Kaepernick. And that was a, a heartbreak. But, you know, that moment was a huge turning point, not only in my career, but in my entire life, because I realized that I'm the one that has to go make my dreams, what I want to create in my life, what I want to pursue. Nobody else is going to give it to me or hand it to me, especially in such a hyper competitive environment like the NFL. 
that starting center finally retired after that year, after 14 years. And so the competition for the center job was open between me and the guy they drafted in the, in the first round from Wisconsin a couple of years before. And so I had one of the best off seasons of my entire life. I like changed my entire body. I showed up and worked hard. I didn't care what anybody said. I showed up early. I did what I needed to do. And you know, the player development department were coming up to me and, and the scouts and the GM, they're like, man, Joe, we really see you showing up. We really like what you're doing. Just keep it up, keep it up. And it was this, you know, supposed to be a competition, but I was with the second team and this guy was with the first team. And, you know, you even asked the guys on the team, I outplayed him and I had one of the best training camps in my life and they still gave him the job. There wasn't even like a conversation. It was just like the season started and he was just continued on as a starter. And that really hurt as well. But I realized, you know, I'm, I've been here before. I'm just going to keep my head down and keep working. I'm not going to let this affect my attitude and the way I show up. And, you know, that was my fourth year going into my free agent year. So I knew that if I had an opportunity to play, I could play and prove myself. And so week nine of that season, that guy actually ended up getting benched because he didn't play that well. They're like, all right, Joe, we're going to give you an opportunity. So I went out there and balled out for the next seven games, played really well. And going into my free agent year, that showed something to the Falcons. And so they ended up giving me a new contract, two years, $6 million. And actually, I earned the starting job. And so going into my fifth year of training camp, I had finally, after four years of waiting for the opportunity to become the starting center, had finally earned it. And I went into that fifth year and the fourth game of that season, I ended up blowing my knee out and tore my ACL, MCL, and it was 11-month recovery. And so it was just as soon as I got it, it was just taken from me. And that was just another huge lesson. But I remember I've always had this like innate trust that everything happens for a reason. And although it's really challenging, I just remember being like, all right, buckle up. Like this is just going to challenge you and test you. And that was actually one of the most challenging years because, you know, going through a major surgery like that, you just really question a lot. And then coming back the following year, there's a little bit of fear on how to how to use it. And, you know, especially in football, when people playing offensive line, people around your legs all the time. And so I end up going, the whole coaching staff gets fired that year. And they would come in with Kyle Shanahan and Dan Quinn, this whole new coaching staff. And I'm a perfect fit for Kyle Shanahan's offense. He runs that outside zone scheme. I'm a smaller offensive lineman, perfect center for this. And they were just like, you're our guy. You're, you're perfect. We love the way you play. And obviously, I had that little bit of film that they really liked the way I showed up. And so they're like, just get your knee right, and you're going to come back. And I went into training camp that year. It was after nine months. It's an 11-month recovery that's planned. But nine months is when training camp started. So I went out there, and they kind of eased me back into it. And I remember my knee just wasn't healing right. And it was because I just needed a little bit more time. And so they ended up cutting me that Monday after all the final cuts were made. All the rosters were set. There was basically no spot for me. And that was just another moment. I was like, damn, like, I just can't get to break here. And that was really, really tough. You know, obviously, when you get cut, you feel like a failure. You feel like all these emotions come up. But still, again, I had this deep, innate knowing, like, everything happens for a reason. This is okay. It's all going to work out. I'll get another opportunity. And so week two of that season, that opportunity came when Dirk Cutter was our offensive coordinator, part of that coaching staff that got fired. He went down to Tampa Bay. And so although they didn't have a position for me to start, they said they needed a backup to play center and guard, and they knew I could play both. And so I ended up going down there and signing them Wednesday of week two of the season. They ended up like, is your knee good enough to dress for the first game? It was in the Superdome against the Saints. And I was like, yeah, I got this. And so I dressed on the sideline as the backup. And the first play of that second half, the starting center rolled his ankle. I went in there and I balled out for those first few games. And they ended up giving me the job. And I started the next two years, 30 games in a row for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And it was like a real resurgence of my career and the opportunity because, you know, I always felt like I was trying to prove myself and I never really could get to that point. And so a fresh start is really what I needed. And it was this resurgence of 
you know, showing up in a locker room as a former starter, five years under my belt, I was just respected on a young team, looked up to, and ended up starting that those next two years. And then go on to my eighth year, I end up having to compete for my starting job again and end up losing it to a younger guy. And that final year, I realized, you know, I'd given it all I had. My body was starting to break down. The injury was, you know, not just the knee, but my hip, my neck, shoulders, all this stuff started catching up with me. The emotional and mental stress and performance anxiety of always having to show up and prove myself and continuing to have to do that. And so after I lost my starting job for the fifth time that eighth year, I made the decision that this is going to be my final year. I'm going to walk away after this. And, you know, I'm really grateful. I think most athletes, their careers are over before they really want them to be. And I was kind of riding off into the sunset. I, I was very present and enjoyed all the goods, the bads, the ups and downs of a season because I knew it was going to be my last one playing football. So I soaked it all in. And so much to my surprise, when I finally walked away, it was like two or three weeks after that final game and the finality of it really hit me. And it was like this void, this heaviness, this this grief that showed up that I really was not expecting because I was there's a part of me that was really excited about you know going off and experiencing life in a new way and the freedom from the game and the, the new challenge. And so that really surprised me sitting with that. Quick interruption. Hey, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to get the notes, quotes, and links in the action plan from this episode. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash action. That's jimharshawjr.com slash action to get your free copy of the action plan. Now back to the show. So you have this successful NFL career. I mean, you had a Twitter account for your beard. Was that like the pivotal moment? Was that the moment where you're like, I, I really made it because now my beard has its own Twitter handle? Yeah, yeah, that was a lot of fun. I mean, I, I definitely enjoyed playing. I think they had the list of top five beards in the NFL. And I was on that consistently, which... That's big time. Yeah, it's big time. That was definitely one of the highlights. <laughs> it is. So for those who are listening and not watching on YouTube... Be sure to check out the YouTube channel because you can see the the full beard that Joe has. All right, so Joe, you know your your career's over, right? Your football career's over. And I remember when I was wrestling, just at the end of every wrestling season, you know, in college, the national championships, and then it's like it's all over, right? The season's over, and I would go into like a three week funk. You know, it was much shorter, and obviously, there's another season ahead. But I would go into this funk, into this depression, and it's almost like you kind of lose your purpose in some level, right? You you don't have that thing that you're working for every day. And, you know, it, your, your focus just shifts for a while until you kind of go, okay, there's postseason stuff that I would do, some off-season stuff, training, competing I would do, and kind of get refocused for that and things would come back. But you're making this transition from football is life to real world. Was there a struggle in terms of your identity? Like, who am I? Like, I've, I've always been a football player. And now I'm not a football player. Was there any struggle there? And what was that transition like for you? Absolutely. Yeah, tr transitioning out of professional sports or any athlete, really, it comes with a lot of unique challenges that you can't really prepare for until you go through it. And, you know, they bring in speakers and they always tell you, like, have a backup plan, have a plan B, make sure it's not going to last forever. And none of that can really prepare you for actually when it's all when it's all over, when it's all gone. And it's it, it was very challenging for me. Football was always something I told myself. It was always something I did. It wasn't who I was. And after playing 16 years and finally walking away and, you know, a few weeks after and that finality finally hit me, I very much realized like it is a huge part of who I am. Like, I don't really know who I am without this thing. And like you alluded to earlier, there's so much structure. I was a part of a team. I received coaching. I had routine every day. I had a goal, a purpose, a collective vision of what working with others to accomplish this thing 
And in a moment, all of a sudden that is all gone. And that's not something you can really prepare for. And at the same time, I was going through a pretty big transition and I was engaged at the time and ended up breaking off that engagement like four weeks before I was my final game. And so it wasn't just leaving the sport behind, but it was leaving this entire life behind. And I think one of the unique challenges that I face, and I know a lot of guys can relate to this that is not talked about a lot, is not just my identity, but the identity of the people closest to me. My fiance at the time, who was supposed to be the person that was supporting me in this decision, you know, she had this idea of being a, a football player's wife. And she didn't know what that would look like without the thing that she was a part of our identity together. And that was a real challenge. Ended up, there's obviously some other issues in that relationship, but ended up us, you know, transitioning out of that. And then, you know, with my parents as well, you know, I, I remember telling my dad, you know, this is gonna be my last year, I'm done playing. And he just was, you know, bewildered. He was like, how are you gonna let go of your childhood dream? You're gonna say no to millions of dollars. Literally, I probably would have made three or $4 million that year and probably could have made another five or $6 million. But I came to a decision where I was, I made enough money to be financially secure. And I had to, to wrestle with the decision of, do I keep playing, putting my body on the line, for, you know, some more money, but what, for what? And so all these questions were kind of percolating in my realm. And I wanted to know what it was like without all this stuff, without this story that i had created for myself, this identity. And so, you know, that led me to the decision of going and figuring out who I was on a deeper level. And I knew I needed to get moving. So I ended up giving away all my stuff I owned to charity. I had I'd seen this documentary called Minimalism or The Minimalist and really fell in love with the idea of like, what would life look like if I didn't have all this stuff holding me down? And because I was going through a big transition, I just wanted to kind of start fresh. And so I gave all my stuff to charity. I bought a van. I rescued a dog from the local shelter. And I ended up hitting the road on a road trip for the better part of two years. And on that trip, you know, I, I definitely had incredible experiences. But continuing to get outside my comfort zone and figuring out who I was changed my life in a, in a lot of profound ways. Man, van, dog, blog. <laughs> you like that, huh? <laughs> yeah, I love that. And really, that was the part of your story. I was like, man, this really gets me. Like I, I told you before we hit record that I, I traveled a good bit after my college career was over and, and spent the year sort of sowing my oats and traveling overseas and whatnot. And it's an amazing experience, especially for somebody who has been so ensconced in athletics and in doing one thing for so long. So first of all, like, was that a blast for you? I mean, what was that journey like? Because you did it for two years, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, originally when the idea came, it was like, I want to do this for a few months. I want to go on a road trip. Uh, I didn't know what else to do. So I was like, let me go see the country. I remember, you know, there's national parks I've always wanted to see. And I had this this freedom finally, you know, and, and the challenge of having the freedom and like the overwhelm, like we talked about all the choices. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to go explore that freedom before I dove into whatever I decided to do next. You know, being a high achiever, I knew if I put my mind towards something, I was going to go do it. And I didn't want to get lost in another story and let that mask this opportunity to go really figure out who I am on a deeper level. And so that three months turned into eight months. And then, you know, after the eight months, I started questioning, okay, like now what, what am I going to do? And I told myself, if I find a, a, another van that's more comfortable, then I'll continue the trip and ended up through a couple of synchronistic moments, finding this beautiful van that was like perfect. And so I ended up trading in my van, selling it and then getting this new van. And I hit the road again for another, you know, six to eight months and traveled. And yeah, the experience just, it just allowed me to grow in a lot of different ways. I think there's something really special about travel um, that forces you into the present moment, right? Like when you don't have something planned, you don't have a routine 
you're constantly going into the unknown and that forces you to be present with the experience as it unfolds. And there's, this is just a really magical thing to experience. I don't think a lot of people allow themselves to, right. And there's, it's not just psychological, but there's actually this physiological, you know, change in your brain when you're doing novel experiences constantly and getting outside your comfort zone that creates new neural connections. And so I was just expanding my horizons in a lot of different ways led to a lot of amazing experiences, you know, and then towards the end of the trip, I still had this question of like, you know, I can't, I don't want to do this forever. I still want to have an impact. I want to, I need to figure out like, what's my purpose? What am I here to do? And so I still struggled with that question. Like the trip was a lot of fun and it changed my life in a lot of ways, but then I still had to figure out, okay, now what? And that was when I started asking myself the simple question, which I think is really powerful. If anybody's looking to find out what they're meant to be doing, I started asking myself, how can I be of service? And I just listened. And I realized in that moment that the transition out of sports was really challenging for me. And I was ready to walk away. I decided I made the choice, which is not the case for a lot of people. And it was still really challenging. And I joined on the road, I joined a couple different masterminds and communities and started doing the self-development work and figuring out who I was. And it had a profound impact on my life being a part of a community of like-minded people. And I realized, man, if I had something to plug into when I was first done playing, it would have had a huge impact on my life. And there's something about being a former pro athlete that a lot of people just can't relate to that experience. You know, if I go tell someone like, yeah, I'm really, really struggling, I say like struggling, like you literally can do whatever you want to do. You're retired, you made a lot of money, and you lived your childhood dream. Like, what do you have to complain about? And it's just really hard for people to hold space for that. And so realizing that I wanted to create a community of former athletes who know what the experience is like so that we could support each other on the journey after sports. And so that led me to create the Heart Collective, which is a community built exclusively for former male professional athletes who are focused on reaching higher levels of success outside of sports because there's something really special about a professional athlete, like you said, like the discipline, the mental toughness, ability to handle failure, all these intangible things. But a lot of guys, when they're done, they don't know how to find something else to do because it's not catching a football, throwing a football, running a football, blocking. Like These skills aren't very transferable into the real world, but all the intangibles that got you to that level, if you can really get that energy and focus it on yourself and figure out and find stillness and, and ask yourself the question of like, how can I be of service and really show up in that way? I truly believe that these former athletes can have a huge impact in the world. They just need some support and guidance. I think community is a big answer to that. For the longtime listeners, you know that there's something called the productive pause, which is sort of what I've discovered as like the secret to success. Like when I you know, talk to really successful people, I find out what's their habit that is, you know, habit or habits that have led them to success. And it's always some version of stepping off of the treadmill of life, of not doing the thing that they're known for. And the definition of a productive pause is a short period of focused reflection around specific questions that leads to clarity of action and peace of mind. And Joe, that is the longest productive pause. So maybe I need to take out a short period of focus reflection. This is like a two-year productive pause. This is fascinating, right? And you were you were searching, you were seeking, you were asking questions like, what's my purpose? What's next? And for the listeners, like this is a, a fantastic productive pause question for everybody to ask themselves. How can I be of service? Like if you stop, get off of your treadmill of life, that busyness, the rat race that you're in, step off and say, wait a second, like, how can I be of service? you'll find answers to questions that you know you didn't even realize that you had. So it's a great question. And, you know, just so to reference your point about, you know, being a 
professional athlete and you know what do you have to complain about like most of the folks who who I work with who I get to work with in in my business as a as a performance coach like they're successful people they're in you know middle of their life and they're successful they have a lot of them, you know, have the spouse and the kids and the dog and the white picket fence and the car and the job and, and all that stuff. But it's like, we all know there's more in us, right? There, we know there's that next gear, that next level. There's more potential in us. And we're trying to figure that out. And people come to me and they come to you for that. And uh, it's an amazing service that you're providing for your community. So let me ask you this, Joe. So for the listener who's trying to find themselves, right? You know, they're, they're that person, like I said, they're middle of their life. They've got kids and all that. Like, and, and like you do now, by the way, congratulations, you got first child. Thank you. So they're in a point in their lives where they're like, man, I would love to do the man van dog blog thing. I would love to like pack it up and just go. Right. I like, I love adventure. And this is like courses through my veins when I talk about this stuff, but you can't do that. Right? At least a lot of folks can't do that in, in the position they're in. Or they're like, do you have advice on finding yourself? Are there things that you recommend or things that, that you talk to other people about doing? Because I imagine you're not telling everybody, oh, you're professional athletes in this community, like, hey, get a van. You got to get a van. You got to get a dog. And then you got to go. <laughs> right. I mean, wh what advice might you have? Yeah. You know, talking about success, I think it's the story that we're told of what success looks like. Right. And it's like redefining what success looks like for you. And I think there's just so much more to life. And obviously people get to a point where they've, you know, got the car, they've got the money, they got the nice job, they got the family, and there's still something missing within them. And we're always, you know, it's just human nature to, to fill that void that we're with trying to seek external validation and love and through our performance. And that's definitely, you know, a very, you know, acute thing that I experienced, you know, and it was part of the reason I was so successful is because I was looking for this external validation. And as soon as it was gone, like that opportunity to perform was gone. And so it kind of forced me into this self-discovery of who I am. You know, I've learned a lot of tools that have helped me navigate that. I think finding stillness through mindfulness practices, meditation, really slowing life down because, you know, everybody's always trying to get somewhere, but every path leads away from where we're at now. And a lot of people in this old story, this old paradigm is, you know, we're, we're going to work hard until retirement. And then all of a sudden, that's when I'm going to decide to live. And a lot of people get to that point of like, wait, this is what I was working for. And I'm really grateful that I made a lot of money, lived out my dream. And I got to experience that moment at the age of 29. And so it really allowed me, I have a lot of life left. And so sharing that experience with people, like that's an old story and that you're going to get to a point where you're like, wait, this is what I was working for. And so it's figuring out how you can live more presently and experience life as it's unfolding and intertwining work with life and going out. You don't need to go live in a van for two years, but maybe go on a weekend trip to the Grand Canyon, get out in nature, go see these places you've always wanted to see. One of the things I adopted when I was on the road is kind of my tagline with Man Van Dog Blog was live with less so you can experience more. And I'm all about experiences, right? Spend your money on experiences, not stuff. Don't try and fill that void with a bunch of stuff because it, it's just going to continue to fade. But if you can go get outside your comfort zone and, and spend that money on experiences with your family, with your friends. Those are things that really add value to your life. And I think another thing that has really had a huge impact on my life is, is writing and journaling. And there's something fascinating that happens when you show up just stream of consciousness, right? You can actually get to know yourself on a deeper level and you can ask yourself questions and you can process, you know, I think that's another thing is, is we don't question enough. Like question your own story, question what you want. Is this something I want in my life? Is this what I want to do? And get really curious about that, right? And I think journaling really helps 
process in real time and gets us out of our heads and into our bodies and our hearts. Amazing, actionable things that we can do to find ourselves no matter where we're at in our journey. Joe, very insightful. You're a man wise beyond your years. You've experienced a lot of things and you're doing incredible things in the world. Can you share with the listeners how they can find you, follow you, et cetera? Yeah, thanks, brother. I got my personal website, joe-holly, H-A-W-L-E-Y, Dot com. If you're interested in checking out The Heart Collective, it's theheartcollective.com, H-A-R-T. And then I got two podcasts if you're interested in checking out some of that stuff. It's Quantum Coffee, where we kind of discuss the unanswerable questions of the universe. It's like a little bit more around spirituality and, and questioning our own reality and the lives that were kind of the story that we've developed as a collective. And then Life Beyond the Game, where I bring on former pro athletes to really discuss more of the transition and stuff that I talked about on this podcast. And then you can follow me on Instagram at joe.holly. Excellent. For the listener, as always, we'll have all the links in the action plan. Just go to jimharshojr.com slash action. We'll have everything that Joe just rattled off there in one spot for you. Joe, thanks so much for making time to come on the show. Yeah, thanks, brother. It was a real pleasure. Don't forget about what I talked about before the interview. If you want to find balance, clarity, and focus, take the next step and go to jimharshawjr.com slash apply. Space on my calendar is very limited, so claim your spot now, jimharshawjr.com slash apply, or just send me a text message to 571-210-5450. Again, that's 571-210-5450. Thanks for listening. If you want to apply these principles into your life, let's talk. You can see the limited spaces that are open on my calendar at jimharshawjr.com slash apply, where you can sign up for a free one-time coaching call directly with me. And don't forget to grab your action plan. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash action. And lastly, iTunes tends to suggest podcasts with more ratings and reviews more often. You would totally make my day if you give me a rating and review. Those go a long way in helping me grow the podcast audience. Just open up your podcast app. If you have an iPhone, do a search for success through failure, select it, and then scroll the whole way to the bottom where you can leave the podcast a rating and a review. Now, I hope this isn't just another podcast episode for you. I hope you take action on what you learned here today. Good luck and thanks for listening.